When mm -hmm. we talk about what brings the most results, what gets you the most muscle tissue on your frame, it is it is hard training. Whether you whether you train completely all out with every single set or as close to complete failure as you can every single session, every single set, you can see who trains in what fashion because the results always show. So, you know, whatever you want to do, you can do. You can have all these opinions, but ultimately, results talk. <laughs> I said that people need to stop training like pussies. <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay. they... That's the point. That's going to be the name of the, of the title of this video. Yeah, we'll see if we can monetize it. I don't know if we can monetize that, but that literally is the point. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Muscle Minds with Scott Stevenson. I'm Scott McNeely, and uh, we are lucky today to be joined from all the way over in the UK, Meg and Kuba Challen. What's up, guys? Thanks for joining us. Yes. So you guys literally, we're going to talk all about training today, and Right before I hit the button, I said, look, we don't have like a prefab thing where we're going to ask you, like, you know, what's your favorite color and all of that. We just want to dive into training and hear what you guys think. You know, what has worked for you? Both of you are IFBB pros. You've put on a ton of muscle. This is your passion. This is your life. You guys own a gym. You guys work with people day in, day out. You see the mistakes people have made. You've made mistakes of your own. We're all always learning. So to start this thing out, I know you guys just got back from the gym. So just tell us, like, what did you guys train today? Bad day. <laughs> like, I, I, listen, ladies first. So I'll let Meg. I'll let Meg start. Well, we call it pull, okay. but it's pretty much just, just back. We've not really got any hinges in there at the moment. They might get added in at some point, but it's literally just the whole back. And because I've got terrible glutes, I've got some glutes in there as well. <laughs> Terrible. Let's put some air quotes up there. Terrible. Um, they're not terrible. They still need to come up. So basically, it's a back day with a little bit of glute in there. Yeah, but there, there will be a hip hinge in there. Maybe. Okay. We'll see. Now, are you guys training together? So we have done in past, yes. But at the moment, because she has certain needs that she needs to meet for her class, the training needs to be a little bit different. So majority of the off season beforehand, we actually trained together, but we've got to a point now where when we look at her physique, she needs to bring up specific areas to further enhance the figure look. So we need to kind of split up a little bit, but we're always in the gym at the same time and we're always spotting each other, we're always helping each other out. And uh, I'm lucky enough for her to always load my plates on as well. So <laughs> Oh man, jeez. Who, I'm gonna hope that it'll give me some big delts. Which one of you guys is more? Which one of you guys is more intense? That's the the real question here. I'd I'd say Cooper's definitely more intense, but I'm I mean I learned how to be intense through Cooper. Like okay, the how how I train is um how can I say it? No, it's, it's a byproduct of what Cooper's taught me. Okay, I've always someone who can train intense I've always been someone who can put myself in a challenging situation because I've not just done this sport before I've, I've always been in elite sport prior to this so I knew intensity but not bodybuilding is different what, what she, she had the foundations so what she had the foundation able to train hard yeah what sport were you in Meg 
I was a diver. No kidding. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not deep sea, the one where we flip off the boss. Scott, we've talked about that before, haven't we? How people who have an athletic background tend to be able to pick things up like bodybuilding. It's almost like, you know, sometimes we're like, oh, it's just that person has a genetic proclivity. Is there an Mm -hmm. element of like, you know, translating the intensity that you would get from being a trained athlete in another sport? I know people are going to say, yeah, your physique looked like it, but I actually was a swimmer growing up. Okay. Right? Oh, wow. I, swam, I swam in high school. I was captain of my swim team in high school, believe it yeah. or not. And we, had, and we had divers. So, I mean, I could do, you know, a few dives. I was never a diver. But the thing about diving is it's the concentrations that's required. It's all or nothing. Like you got, it's like that all out top set. You have to visualize, you have to manifest, you have to see it. And the amount of focus that is necessary to nail that, it's, it's of course, it's like gymnastics. But it's even, probably even has to be more focus than that because you've got literally, how long is it, you, when you start to the end of the board and you hit the water, five, six, seven, eight seconds total has yeah. to be perfected. So your ability to like go into a set, I'm sure was, was trained. There's got to be some carryover. I can't imagine there's not. From, from doing that. And people, I remember we'd see, like, we'd be swimming and, we, and the divers would be diving, you know? And we're like, man, I wish I could be a diver because it's so much freaking easier. <laughs> but it's a total, it's a total mental challenge. And of course, it's a, but it's a power activity, especially too. You have to have the ability. So I don't know what kind of training you did outside of the actual diving, but you have to have a, a lot of muscle mass that you can engage in very rapidly, but in controlled, controlled manner. So it's, it's a power sport. It's not a combat sport. You're not hitting other people like football or hitting a thing like baseball, let's say. But definitely it's a power. It's like gymnastics, essentially. But people think it's underestimated how difficult diving is, I think. I I personally think the biggest carryover that she has from diving is her ability to brace. Hmm. And in my opinion, Hmm. the biggest thing I've found is she can really, really apply simple instructions well. And she can lock into a set completely where if she's in that set, mm-hmm. she's in that set. She's not thinking about anything else. So it's like a, a next level focus that I do think comes over time with people that haven't done anything before. Whereas with Meg, it was there literally from the start. Hmm. We'd give her the instructions and she'd, it, it would just be a straight away and she'd be, you know, tunnel vision into that set and nothing else matters. Hmm. I think that's definitely yep. a big, big trait that is carried over from her previous sport 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So, um, yeah, go ahead, Scott. I would say, so Meg, so you've been told that you need more glutes. What are you, um, we didn't get the whole split. Are you guys on a push-pull, or are you, Meg, on a push-pull split? Push-pull yeah, leg push split? Leg. And you're actually yeah. adding in glutes on top of back for more glute work on those days. Yeah, yeah. So push okay. is literally just shoulders, chest shoulders, chest, tricep, pulleys, lats, upper back, rear delts, and glutes, and then legs split out into a leg, uh, sorry, a hamstring focus day and a quad focus day. Mm -hmm. Are the glutes coming up the way they need to? (laughs) So they definitely are. No, 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 no. So the the, the way structure things, we've always got a rest day either side of the legs, right? Because they are always the biggest, biggest days, and they're always the most demanding days. So it's push, pull, rest, legs, rest. So she's got 
an amazing connection with her quads. So beforehand, everything that she did was just all quad. So we've got to a mm. point where her quads actually need to come down a little bit, if anything, for mm -hmm. her hamstrings and glutes to be able to come up a little bit more. So the way we're structuring the training is she's going to have direct glute work on her pull days through a hip thrust. And then she's going to have a hip hinge on both leg days as well. So she's going to be doing hip hinge every five days. And then she's going to be doing top up work on her glutes for more frequency, just in the shortened range on her pull days as well. But again, right now she's dieting. So we're going to have to suss out what she can actually recover from when mm. we actually go into the push up phase. So I honestly think she'll probably be able to get away with a, a one very, very hard set of hip thrust hmm. every pull day. And then mm -hmm. having a hip hinge, having a hip hinge on all her leg days as well, because she doesn't really need to squat at the moment. Um, I think if anything, squatting is only going to take away from the lift that she actually needs, which is obviously from the back. But she loves to squat, so she's probably going to squat anyway. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll sneak off and I'll do one like normal. <laughs> yeah. What do you like about squatting so much? I think it's an ego thing. <laughs> <laughs> we could i could i could lie and say it's because obviously i feel like that's been the best thing for my leg development but it, it isn't because i haven't always squatted i'm actually i've got really bad knees so i've always struggled to squat and then we spoke to someone who helped with with some squatting patterns yeah. and then i figured out a way to do a squat without it hurting my knees on the smith machine and actually being able to build up my squat and it's just a real good ego booster <laughs> it's not an ego booster it's just it's just a lift that you really enjoy and it's a challenging lift as well yeah it's hard so it's, we've actually added the safety bar handles yeah. as well and um, oh. just because i've got a lot of bicep tendonitis from diving so being able to kind of mm. lock in in that position rather than that position is obviously quite nice okay how long did you switch over how long ago did you switch over from diving and getting into hypertrophy and and into bodybuilding and figure so I was a, a diver up until seven years ago. I've been bodybuilding for six and a half years now. I was a bikini competitor and won my, bikini, my pro card in bikini. And then I transferred over to figure in 2018. Okay. Was it that you wanted to keep growing? I mean, where, where were you at with that? Because I know some girls are like, oh, I love bikini and I just love the pageantry of it. And some girls are like, oh, God, that's not me. I, I I hate being fancy and stuff. I mean, it's nice, it's nice on show day to have your bikini on and have your hair done and, and, and whatnot, but I definitely prefer being in the gym and being able to train really hard on everything. Um, and I always wanted to do figure. My first coach told me not to do figure, so that's why I did bikini. Huh. Um, so And then I went over to Kuba. Uh, he helped me with my pro card. And then it was me really that said, I don't want to do bikini. So okay. the, day she, the day she won a pro card in Spain, I actually had to do some figure shots. And as soon as she hit the shots, it, she actually looked better in the shots that, that were more suited to figure with a shape. So I was like, you really like training. You like training really hard. Realistically, if you stay in bikini now, you won't be able to train hard. Like you will literally be able to train once, maybe twice a week. That's it. And you're not going to be able to train your upper body. Like you'll, you'll literally be able to train your upper body maybe once a month. And that will be it. 
So your sessions mm. will be two leg days that will be just glutes. So kickbacks, hip thrusts, and a hip hinge. That's it. You won't be able to do anything else. Yeah. Now, is that what you want to do? She was like, no, we're yeah. doing figure. <laughs> so, and, and, and what about you, man? What was your what was your pull day like today? My pull day is pretty uh, pretty simple. So we, we all need more lat, right? So it always starts with lats, um, four sets of lats to start with, and then three sets of upper back on the prime extreme row. Uh, the, the beauty of the prime, you, you get to adjust the resistance profile. So yeah. start with mid peg and top peg. And then what I actually like to do on the prime extreme row is I like to have across the three sets, I actually run the same weight. All I do is adjust the resistance profile and I try and aim same reps with the same weight, just adjusting the resistance as hmm. I go with each set. So the final set will be loaded pretty much all top peg. But the first set, we start like split, that's maybe 40, 60, middle and top. Hmm. Second set mm -hmm. is 20, 80. Third set, 100% at the top. And that's the kind of the way I like to structure things. And then the final exercise, it's pretty much like a, a row variation that I like that ticks off your lat and the upper back. So it's just the maximum range of motion um, on a, I've just got a Cybex VR row, which is amazing. It, comes up really nice. So if you can turn away from it a little bit, you, you, you can tag on both your lat and upper back into it. And then after that, it's rear delts and biceps. So it's uh, it's definitely uh, just a, an upper back and lat focus session with some rear delt work and some bicep to tag along with it as well. Um, I prefer doing my hip hinge work on my leg days. So that's uh, a conversation with Jordan. Jordan loves his hip hinges. He yeah. does them every five yeah, days on his back day, right? But for me, with my back being one of the weaker body parts, I definitely don't want to just fatigue my entire back and go into all my lat work and upper back work completely fucked from the hip hinge work. So I much prefer mm. to structure my leg days where I can have a form of hip hinge every five days, but it's more towards my hamstrings and glutes, which I do want to come up as well. Whereas Jordan's yeah. built to deadlift, I'm not. So I'm not going to do a lift that I'm just not built with. And, uh, this is when me and Jordan have different difference of opinions, and and that's okay, you know. But you know, it, it, let, let's do a leg day, and I'll I'll definitely catch up with Jordan on legs. But hip hinge <laughs> day, no chance. <laughs> How close are you guys with Jordan? Um, distance wise? No, no. I mean, like uh, you yeah, know, I, you're, you're you're talking about training right now, you know, and you guys discuss training. Like how 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 much of an impact has he had on you guys, and and what you're doing up there? So I speak, I speak to Jordan every day, literally every day about training and uh, just about life stuff in general. So it's, um, it's probably one of the best friends, to be honest. And uh, we have daily conversations about training and just random shit. And uh, he's definitely had a lot of po positive contributions uh, towards my life and, and just the way I'm in general as well. So definitely very close to him. You're not as close, but they do have a little bit of banter now and again on the on Instagram. So that, that, that'll be. <laughs> him and him and Corinne have uh, helped us both tremendously. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're both eternally grateful for both of them. Yeah, I think Jordan. Obviously, Jordan's took took a step away from 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 the scene for a little while, right? Yeah. And I think it's took Jordan stepping away from hard training and intense training to realize. Well, he didn't really step away from it, but in the fashion that he does now. I think it's took him that little bit of time to step away from training to find out and realize how much he actually loves it. Huh. And yeah. you always see a shift 
when Jordan doesn't do what Jordan does best, it's like the industry changes a little bit in the UK where people start swaying towards more training less intensely huh. and doing the stuff that isn't really going to bring the reward with the training. Whereas now Jordan's mm-hmm. back at full force, everyone is actually training balls to the wall and everyone's actually doing what they're supposed to be doing and actually growing some muscle tissue. So it's definitely, well, at least some people are, aren't they? Yeah. There was a massive shift and then it's, yeah. it started to come back. Yeah, everyone started doing reps in reserve, but everyone's back. Everyone's back on the right path now. The path <laughs> of real training and the path of real gains. Everybody does reps in reserve, but they don't know how to train to failure. That's the problem. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were just talking about that, weren't we, Scott? That, well, that was the post that we got, or that was the topic that Meg tagged us both on, I think, last week on Instagram, right? Yeah, yeah. So when Jordan, stepping back to maybe follow the history of this, when Jordan, there was that probably infamous podcast in the UK where Jordan and Mike Isratel talked about reps and reserve. And Jordan, of course, wants to do any and everything possible to make progress, right? He's willing to give everything a shot. So he gave that a shot. And from what I understand, he did not make any progress. He started training with the reps and reserve type of approach and it didn't work for him. Um <clears throat> And then he went back to the way he liked to train, and then he did take that step away and he's come back. But what, when that happened, how, what what was going on then in terms of the reps and reserve notion in the in the social consciousness of the UK, where people are like, oh my god, this is total BS. Jordan tried it, didn't work, or what happened then? So, from your perspective, right? So I can remember the exact moment Jordan tried it, and I was like, this sounds interesting, Jordan. Shall I do it as well? And he was like, no. I'll do it first. <laughs> I will do it first. I will do it properly. I will stick to it. And then I will let you know if it's worth doing or not. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, well, okay, we'll just, we'll just give it a bit of time. And then I think it lasted for about six to eight weeks where okay. Jordan just progressively got weaker, progressively got smaller. And then it was like, <laughs> I'm not going to, there's not the fact he's allowed in the show, so I'm not going to swear. But he literally said, F this. S, I'm going yeah. back to training properly. <laughs> but let's look, mm-hmm. this is me not trying to disrespect anyone. I'm not trying to put shade on anyone, right? But when you look at anyone who's got any size, who's built any size, whether they're male or female, right? All you have to do is watch how they train. People look at Meg, right? And they don't understand the intensity that she puts in into every single session because mm. I see it firsthand. And I make sure that she puts that intensity into every single session as well. So we live in a world where people, unfortunately, are too busy talking about getting big and talking about training instead of actually training and instead of actually getting big. If you don't have an understanding of what it's like to go into a session and come away from that session questioning your life, <laughs> you have no right you have no right to even attempt doing reps in reserve. Like, don't get me wrong. Not everybody likes to go into the gym and go through that pain and and train as hard as, you know, some people. Some people just like to go in and, you know, faff around a little bit because that's what they do. That's what they like to do. And that's okay. But when Mm -hmm. we talk about what brings the most results, what gets you the most muscle tissue on your frame, it is is hard training. Whether Whether you train completely all out with every single set or as close to complete failure as you can, every single session, every single set, you can see who trains in what fashion because the results always show. Mm 
So, you know, whatever you want to do, you can do. You can have all these opinions, but ultimately, results talk. There's an interesting – see, there's this phenomenon. I'm going to contextualize this as the oldest guy here amongst the group. And we see, the, we know, we've got – we've got – what's that? The smartest man in the group. Think, <laughs> I don't know about that. I, 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 can, I can provide evidence to the contrary. Actually, I've done some pretty stupid <laughs> shit over the years. Um, but we've got so many high-level pros – who tra- like you think of Jay Cutler? His you can see in his he trains hard. Rest intervals are very short. There's a story I heard when when Phil Heath, I think before he's Mr. Olympia, was training with Jay when they're getting to know one another back in Phil's early days, and and Jay just buried him because Jay had such a crazy amount of muscle. And what Jay does is 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 amazing when he was back training in the day. The weights he was handling, everything else, even Ronnie. You don't see Ronnie was training with massive volume. He was training a way that no one else could. When Ronnie Coleman doing a push-pull legs, training everything twice a week, when he turned up Mr. Olympia, a lot of pros were trying to do that. I remember King Kamali said he tried that, and he, he just couldn't hang with it. He just couldn't do it hmm. with Ronnie's volume. But even Ronnie said you could see he's training really hard, but he doesn't have grinder sets like his eyeballs are going to explode. So there's all these examples of really good – absolutely utterly genetically elite gifted individuals who can get away with a massive amount of volume and not train that super hard but that's not that's not most people in my estimation in my experience and the thing before that we have a history taught us a lesson that we like to forget and it's dc training dante Came on the scene and, every, and and basically on kind of the context, the history of training like Arnold Wood with higher volume, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and had this put this program down, the standard DC training two way split, you know, hitting everything t- three times in 10 days, just doing one um, rest pause set, like, like training like every fucking set, there's a gun to your head. And it worked, and like there's, they're, they're all gone now. Unfortunately, they got they they were lost. You know, some it probably could be found through the Wayback Machine. But Dante had so many clients that he battered with with DC training, and DC training is how Jordan and I trained together. When I helped Jordan here all those years back, in, what was the weight that we put on him with a very very small amount of volume? So, like we know from back in the early two thousands that for Mass amount of people training really hard that way, which a lot of is why a lot of people don't want to work is is going to be effective. I think for most people, you can get somewhere just training, but if you really want to get everything you possibly can, the effort level. And Mike Isertel, speaking of, he and I had a podcast where we talked about this, and he 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 wasn't like you know succumbing to me or whatever. He says, yeah, the the more advanced you get, the harder you're going to have to train. At some point, I think people butt up against their willingness to train past three, four reps in reserve or past what they think real failure is and push their limits in that way because unless you got some screws loose in your head, it's an extremely uncomfortable and silly thing to do, right? So history taught us that in the early 2000s, and we're just going to keep on repeating it, and there will be reps in reserve and training that notion works for incredibly gifted people, absolutely. But we're going to keep on finding, just like you said, I think the first thing it says is people – it's just a notion of people. It's a, it's a characteristic of humans that we want to find an easier way around, you know. Yeah. And when this case, in this scenario, heading right into the the eye of the storm is 
is the way that most people are going to need to go if they want to get everything they possibly can, I think, unless you're genetically gifted. And yeah, those people are overrepresented on, on Instagram um, and in the public eye because they have the best physiques, which they would regardless of how they trained. True. So anyway, it's just funny having seen this over you know 30 years or 40 years now, literally. Um, it just keeps on rolling around in different ways. The same thing. I always tend to get people that reference people like Dexter Jackson or Jay Cutler. But Jay Cutler, again, when we look at Jay, he was an anomaly and he was training not to complete failure, but he was training with four or five plates on the incline bench for five yeah. sets of five or five yeah. sets of eight. Right. So there's a big difference there. Like he's not doing, you know, he's not doing baby weights. But when you look at some of the genetic elite, Unfortunately, you've got guys that start to slate now people that train to failure and say that you don't need to do it simply because their favorite professional doesn't do it. But the fact of the matter is, if 99% of population trained that way, they would literally look like swimmers. They would look like competitive swimmers, not bodybuilders. And that's unfortunately a fact. Yeah. it's it, We've got a bell curve that pretty much – it, it dictates pretty much every biological phenomenon we're going to find many things in nature. And that's just kind of how it is. Um, so it's kind of lucky. I, I feel sort of lucky that I've just got a natural inclination to like to train hard. Yeah. And I found an outlet for that. You know, it's like, it's kind of cool. Um, and I beat myself up a good bit over the years, but I, I, that's, that's my gift. You know, you guys, what, what do you fill us in on, on the smiles there? What, what, what's going on in your head, Meg? I, I think that people don't want to be bodybuilders. They do it because it's a it's a fad. Hmm. So if they can do something oh. that feels easier rather than harder, I think that that's the reason why lots of people go down the route of higher intensity because they still do get a little bit of a result, but just not what they would mm-hmm. if they train properly. But because it's such a fad, that's why people join and, and, and don't do it properly and effectively. They just don't have that grit and want because they don't have a reason why they're doing it other than just because everybody else does it. Yeah, You can, you can see it with the speed of the reps because what we have now is a trend of people that also fake the failure reps where it's, you know, <laughs> it's like the reps are fast, the reps are easy, and then you get to a point where it's like a, a really slow rep and then all of a sudden it shoots up yeah. And then they're it's like yeah i've never actually been able to do that in my whole life but with, with there's just a there's just a complete different beauty about it because i was i was introduced to it very very early on right and it was training to failure all out to death with higher volume as well so as you can imagine i was uh, i was thrown into deep end and the first person ever I am going to have to give him a shout out. Was Tony Megson is Ian Harrison's training partner. Mm. Um, he's the first person that ever started to train with me when I was, I think I was, I just turned 16 and he used to pick me up every single morning on Sunday morning to train legs. We would train legs and my legs would hurt to the point where I would literally be holding onto things to sit down on toilet. Right. <laughs> until, until yeah. Saturday, Saturday was the only day where they eased off. <laughs> And then it would be leg day again on Sunday. So <laughs> it would be an entire week Perfect. of just agony and pain week to week for over, I think it was like 18 months straight. But that's why you had massive legs. Yeah, but that's who taught me <laughs> how to really get after it. And like, there was no thought process into the sessions. It was literally, right, 
we're going to get on leg extensions. We're going to do free sets and free drop sets. And you're going to take your sets to failure, pass failure. And then it's going to be right. We've done that. You're going to squat now. And after you squat, you're going to do lunges. After lunges, you're going to do leg press. And it was, it was literally all the sets were like just past failure to death. I remember yeah. walking away from the leg extensions and my legs was that pumped. When I was squatting, it literally would feel like I was in a Smith machine, but I was in a free bar because mm. my legs were that full of blood, right? As I was squatting down, it was like, it, it was like a spring locking out, locking in, like coming down, <laughs> yeah. coming down, boom, and then boom, straight up. So it was, yeah, it was, it was definitely an experience. And it's, I'm never going to forget it because it, it was just amazing. You know, it was just going in and every morning, the, the, the drive to the gym as well, I'd be so nervous, man, because it's almost a pressure where you have to make sure that you literally leave everything because you've got the guys that you idolize watching you as well. So it's not just the pressure of knowing that, right, I need to train hard today, but it's the pressure of having people that are training super hard that are putting you through it and, and they're watching you all the time. So it's like, you can't give up. You're going to have to give extra reps here because all these boys are, are, are literally waiting for that. So yeah, it's uh, I'm never going to forget That's it. That's a rite of passage. That's a beautiful yeah. thing that, that a lot of people don't get to experience in some way, shape or form in our society, you know? And I, it's a, we get off on a tangent, but I, I think it seems that, and I'm not a parent, so I probably have no room to speak at all, but it seems that that some of the things that I read about and hear about and talk with other friend, friends who are parents is that children are being steered away from some of those difficult things where, for instance, there's competitions in the U.S. for quite a, some time now. Participation is the main thing, and having winners or losers, which um, – can be overemphasized, has been de-emphasized so that you don't have those struggles, which are formative, which I think are part of having a, a healthy mindset and, and having a healthy psychology is to recognize that, you know, some things are going to be really friggin' hard, but if you persist, there can be a reward. And, and that persistence is a trait that can be developed over time. And bodybuilding is a tremendous way to do that, to make, Literally, one way to say it is to make a lot of other things in your life much easier. Everything seems pretty simple and easy compared to doing a quadruple drop set with the free bar squad, let's say, um, or some of those things you went through. I get a question. It's kind of um, a little – it's the same topic. but So you have a gym, and I, mean, I imagine there's a pretty hardcore mindset there. Um, but you may have some people come in. You also – I owned a gym too. You want – Ideally, it would just be, you know, hardcore meatheads would come in there and, and a lot of chalk and screaming and, and, you know, bleeding and sweating and tears, the whole thing, right? But you also need to have members to support yourself, your business, of course. Sure. Do you have members that are more of a reps and reserve type of um, lifestyle type trainees? And do you, do you cater to, have to cater to that to some degree? Or are you in a situation where your gym can kind of be however you want it to be? Do we have anyone that trains reps and reserve? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Are we talking intentional that. reps and reserve or not intentional reps and reserve? <laughs> I mean, like, I know there's, like, when I had my gym, we had several clients there, and there were some clients, you know, their their whole interaction with the, with their PT, they came in and they got the exercise done, which is better than 90% of people. They were actually doing some work, getting things done, but like, every set was like, Oh, you're going to make me do these again. You know, it was this continually kind of running joke like the trainer was torturing them 
yeah. and they had to have kind of a conversation, distract them from the pain of the set. And it's like, it just seemed like a not very fun way to integrate exercise into your life. And that's kind of a one end of how personal training can happen. Or do you, do you not have that there? Maybe you're, maybe you've got, you know, a more ideal situation. You have got a real mixed bag of people that there is, it's a, it's definitely a real community there in that everybody feels uh-huh. welcome. Um, you have got quite a few people that come that are general population, ladies that want to look fit and healthy, um, obviously males as well. And then you do have, obviously, because of how Cuba trains, obviously we've got a, a natural competitor that's also the same mindset of that um, called AJ Morris. AJ's done a podcast with Scott before. All right, okay, yeah. so AJ. And because they're both there, it does attract that type of person and that type of training. But then you do have the odd few people that do a little bit more high intensity reps in reserve style training, but you would say the main bulk is more our style of training. Yeah, and you've got a lot of people that are ledger trainers as well, where some people just want to come in the gym, train a little bit, and mostly socialize as well. Sure. And, yeah. and, to, me, and to me, that's completely fine because... I know that a lot of people use the gym as more of a social place on a daily basis as well. And to be honest, they're better off coming and doing a little bit of training and, and having a social than actually going to the pub and drinking 10 pints and having a social in the pub. Yeah. So yeah. you have a mixed bag where it's not everybody is in there to just, you know, get after it. But I would probably say out of, let's say, let's throw a figure out, right? Out of a thousand members, I would probably say, 300 members get in there and get pretty pretty stuck in where mm-hmm. they are they're, they're in there to train you know and have fun right. with it obviously and then you've got the other side of members that's more leisure trainers some people that just want to come in and, and there's a lot of people that actually love being around that environment where there's a lot of athletes training there's a lot of pros training because we do have a lot of pros in the gym as well so i do think a lot of people thrive off it and i think because it's a mixture where we've got like just random older ladies and all the gentlemen in there as well. I think people like to be in that mix as well, where they can train in a place where all these serious guys trains and nobody gets in the way, nobody gets judged and nobody gets grunted at as well. And yeah. everyone gets respected mm-hmm. in the fashion too. That's cool. That, that's nice when you can have like someone who's just doing their exercise. They've got the circuit that they maybe travel around and they do their same thing three times a week, same deal to get through it. And right next to them is some guy who's just dropped trow in front of the mirror because he want to see what his quads look like, you know. And they're not they're and they're not intimidated by one another because some gyms like they frown on that. They try to create a homogeneous type of demographic, yeah. you know. And that's how some box gyms here in the in the U.S. actually work. And it's it's nice that you. It sounds like you got a lot of tolerance in the gym where the hardware guys aren't saying like, you know, get those blank out of out of our gym like this is where we come to train hard and you don't have the the people where they're more leisurely training saying oh my god those meatheads are such mean mean scary people like everyone's getting along in a pretty good way it sounds like so one thing i always make a point is and a lot of a lot of other guys do that training really hard if, if they see someone in the gym that isn't really isn't really well versed in training and they don't really know what they are doing, they're always willing to help. Awesome. And I think that always breaks the ice a little bit more where people are just more comfortable around each other, whatever we are. Don't get me wrong. As long as people don't cross certain boundaries, I'm okay with that. But for me, priority is 
no politics, no gossip. Everyone just needs <laughs> to get on with their own. If there's, if there's gossip yeah. and politics, I quickly put a, put an end to that because that's one thing I absolutely hate. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I, went, I wanted to go back go to ahead, the, the, I had a question. So, you know, when we're talking about intensity and we're talking about the, you know, the, you know, the way you put it, Scott, you said you feel lucky that you were, you naturally gravitated toward intense training. And I think all four of us, you know, we can all, th- the rest of us, we can all relate to that. Um, but I do, I do wonder, you know, people at home who are watching this and maybe they haven't had the opportunity like Kuba, you got to train with somebody from the time you were you know, a young guy who showed you. And I, I've had those moments, you know, and I, I think we all have where you have that the light bulb moments. I like to call them where you train with somebody who who has more experience than you. And it turns a light on in your head and you realize, oh, I can I can take it to this next level or I can do this. You know, it evolves your training. And from there forward, your training is never the same. Uh, for the people that may be watching this at home and there's a lot of them I know that aren't pushing things to absolute failure. And we know too, that it's a, it's a process, you know, it's like, what was, what's intense failure today is going to be redefined a year from now. You know, I feel like we're always redefining how far we can push things. How can we help those people on a podcast in this conversation because we're not there able to show them and to tell them, listen, you can get one more rep. No, you can get one more rep after that too. I mean, that's a real easy way to be right there in the gym with them. But how can we describe that or explain that here? I want people to get on a spin bike and put it on the hardest setting that they can, right? <laughs> and then I want them to pedal away as hard as they physically can, and they can until they cannot pedal any further, literally, until they cannot move the pedal another inch and and be honest with himself as well. That is what true failure will be. It's probably the closest thing you can get it to Hmm. as you can in the gym. So for us, when we train, our main goal is to take every set to failure. We probably shouldn't take every set to failure, but we absolutely do. (laughs) But take every set to failure without my form breaking or adjusting because if I have to change my form, change my position, or if I have to start wiggling to move the weight, that is me actually changing my form and using other muscles to try and complete the rep. So for me, that's probably reps past failure. And I do think there's a big difference between true reps to failure and reps past failure. What I see as reps past failure is the reps where you have to adjust something to move the load. So you'll see people pressing, for example, and they're all of a sudden they start, you know, wiggling around and doing everything, doing the dance to try and complete the rep. Or when they're doing a hip hinge and they start to deadlift and start hitching the weight up as well. You know, mm-hmm. these are the reps past failure because you've actually failed your rep at a certain point where you cannot physically move that load anymore. And then what you're actually doing then is trying to make the weight more efficient to complete the rep. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I mean, you're bringing in accessory muscles, you're, you're changing the form. So you've got yeah, a biomechanical advantage in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Yeah. That's a know, good way I'll, to I'll, that. I'll take a stab at that, at that question. Cause Cuba's gym sounds like the answer is built into the community that he has there. I would imagine if you got someone, you know, who let's say is in their first year of training or so, and they're just, and they're learning to train hard and they see all these guys, they see all these people that they can model, right? Mm-hmm. They see people just going for broke 
and they see how much fun they're having with that. And I've seen your videos and you've got the, you know, the collective energy that is around some of those big sets is, is absolutely badass, right? And people see that. And what I imagine probably happens too is the, the little old lady or, you know, the, the housewife or the guy who's like never been a totally athletic and he's doing some things and you see a guy like that and he takes a set further than you've ever seen him take a set. Now, he didn't go to where he could have gone if his life depended on it, but you're like, that was a good set for that guy. You just give him a fist bump. You're like, dude, nice set. Nice work. Yeah. That's, and that, and that, there's a, there's a kind of a general principle of teaching that I, I try to stick to to some degree is to, is to start where the person is and realize where they are and then build from that. So someone like that who just like did something that for them was a PR effort wise to give people, which I think it just happens in your gym. It must because of the community that I thinking it ex- ex- exists there, those people get positive reinforcement. Like, Hey, that was kind of cool. And like, Hey, the big dude gave me a fist bump. That was badass. Like I'm going to do that shit again. Here we go. I kind of like this. It was fun. And that's what happened to you when you were a kid. Kuba. I mean, you probably were, were made for it to some degree too. You wouldn't have, you would have maybe said, I'm not going to show up on one of these Sundays. I'm going to be sick. You know, if you were someone else, but you didn't. But you got reinforcement from those guys. There was pressure, but you knew you were doing things right. And they're like, look at this kid. This kid's got some gumption, man. We like this. We like this. So you dug that and, you know, it became a lifestyle for you. So I think all of us can learn, you know, like I'm learning German right now. It's easier to learn a language when you, when you grow up with the language. But as a 50-year-old guy, I picked up German after 30 years and I'm learning it pretty well. Old dogs can learn new tricks. And I think the same goes for getting people... If, if, you know, they see some value in it, say, okay, you know what? I keep on seeing this rest and reserve thing, but I see how Jordan trains. And I'm like, I think I could get some more if I would learn how to train that way. And imagine they're in a situation where they're not getting any positive reinforcement for that. Everyone around them is, you know, no one's talking to them. The gym doesn't, isn't like your community. But now uh, compare that with they're in your community and like they see all the guys who are growing really well and they're getting positive reinforcement. They'll just take that on. So I think... I think that that the people that are out there is maybe the one one solution to that would be think about where you train. Are you at a gym where like like was it Planet Fitness where they have the lunk alarm? Yeah, you know, yeah. and the and there were the ones who had the the series of commercials where they basically made fun of, of bodybuilders all being you know being idiots. Yeah, um, you know, so th- they created a kind of created a culture there that's anti bodybuilder in many ways. That's a place that for some people is not going to lend itself to this kind of a progression in terms of a re- place where you would be rewarded for trying harder. They give you rewards with Tootsie Rolls, I think they have, and Pizza on Fridays, and they've got various sort of tricks that they've they've built into their community to keep people in this place rather than allowing them to ev- develop and evolve in a way that can with positive reinforcement from a community in the gym that wants to make everyone better as much as possible. So pick a new gym might be yeah. easy, easy thought there. Mike, I just what watched, do you think? Oh, go ahead, Scott. Sorry. I was just going to say, I just watched that Arnold documentary that's on Netflix oh. right now. And he had said, yeah. he, he's like, you know, I'm training in Austria and I knew that the best guys in bodybuilding were in the U S and so I wanted mm. to go to the U S because I wanted to train where the best guys were training and see what they did and, and basically become that. I think that's probably a great tip is find a good, find a good gym. That's the start, isn't it? Mm-hmm. 
partner. We're a good training partner. Through a set. Hmm. If there's anybody in the gym that is a pro bodybuilder, I'm sh- I'm sure that they're going to be kind enough to remember when they were at the start of their journey that if they ask you, if you ask them politely, will you put me through a set? As long as obviously they're not about to start their set, I'm sure that they'll put you through right. one because yeah. you'll actually do what it feels like, and you'll probably feel more confident confident to be able to do that yourself. That's a great idea. Yeah, Meg, have you seen people yeah. in your gym that uh, that maybe came in younger guys or girls that were just you know off the street, didn't know what they're doing, and and now they've they've gotten into it and and become what we're talking about? Yeah, it's great, and it's really nice when they actually approach you to ask them because it's it's an honor. It's it's nice to feel that someone respects what you do to actually allow them to then be able to be better because they could be the next pros they could be someone who potentially in the future could become an olympian so actually being able to pass that on is, i think it's an honor mm-hmm. see that's, that's cool. definitely a great perception to have because i don't think uh, i don't think many many pros have the same perception it's the way i look at it is this mm-hmm. taking 15 seconds in between your sets to potentially you know, help someone or even praise someone or just say hello, it's not going to take away from your set at all. Yeah. If anything, it's probably creating a bit more of a positive atmosphere around you. So I do think uh, a lot of people probably get a little bit too in their own head where they need to be, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I, I can't stand people, you know, trying to disturb me in the gym. I don't use a phone in the gym. Uh, you know, my, that always gets that. My, my training partner's not actually allowed to on his phone in the gym either, but, I think anyone can find a minute in between the sets when you're resting to be able to help someone if they need it. Or if you can see someone, you know, wanting to put the effort in, I'm pretty sure it's not going to hurt you putting them through a set or, or trying to help them out. And I think that is where our gym definitely stands out a little bit because if you're doing a set and you're not getting spotted, there's probably, I would say at any given time, there's probably 10 people in the gym that would be more than happy to run over and, and put you through hell. So especially if Jay's around, he's, uh, you're probably taking your set to complete failure and then extra 10 reps on top. <laughs> really redefine yeah. failure then. You know, it's kind of, um, I'm thinking about it. It's just sort of un- unfortunate that I think there, there are so many like adherence rates, I think are still like maybe 10% over the course of a year. People just drop out, you know, they just, they go. And that's how gyms, most gyms in the U S at least make their money. And I think a lot of what's missing there is they don't have someone like you guys at the helm running the gym. I always thought, I've always thought the gym etiquette and a big part of that is if someone asks for a spot, then yeah, you absolutely give them a spot. Like it's, it's like you're obligated. Like you don't have any choice, but to give one to someone a spot, as long as you can, like they're not like, I, I've been asked to spot people on deadlifts before. I'm like, I'm not quite sure how I should spot you on this deadlift. <laughs> right? like, that's, that's Sometimes there's some exceptions, but but things like that, putting your weights away, you know, if like if working in those sorts of things, yeah. and just creating this community is the thing that would I think, and and actually the research um, substantiate this, that having social support in your exercise environment, spousal support is important. There's various other little things, but it does contribute to adherence. It would mean more people exercising and enjoying and being healthier in so many ways if gyms were run the way you guys are are doing it with with people who are good models at the helm, you know, yeah. and who set that tone, right? You know, um, but gyms are also a good way to sort of 
get money out of people's pocketbooks because of the allure of you know the transformation that won't happen if you're not there a year later anyway but um it's beautiful to see that you guys are running your gym that's that was what i had with my gym in the years that i had it was that was kind of the goal to do what you guys are now doing so that's kind of cool that, that makes me very happy so yeah i can see that it, it makes sense i know i remember ron what ron partlow was saying recently or in the last few months that they looked at their records to see how frequently their average member came to the gym. In a lot of gyms, it's like, you know, uh, twice a month, or I, I can't remember what the stat was, he said, but there's an average and it's really low. And he said that uh, their members, like the average member is going five days a week to West Coast Iron. And people take pride. I'm sure they do at your guys' gym too. Like people take pride over there at West Coast Iron. Like that's where they belong, you know? It's a, it's a, it's a cool thing to see that. And you you know, it's, oh, I think we lost Scott there. He'll be back, I'm sure. He was having a, there, there he is. He was having a storm of some type. It's cool to see that though. Cause uh, yeah, I, I do think that community is such an important part of really being able to keep progressing. You're back. Just froze, yeah, I don't know where. I definitely agree. I think having a community around you, having people around you, and having the right people around you, it's not its not only going to make you train harder, but it's going to make you motivated to keep turning up, even when you don't want to. In certain cases, I know for a fact that some people might feel demotivated at certain occasions, but if they know that they've got people counting on them, or they've got people that will support them in the gym, or even give them the time of the day just to say hello and, and give them words of encouragement, I think that, that can make a, a big, big difference for sure. I know for a, I know for a fact, like I don't really need anyone apart from maybe her to really be able to, you know, put me for a set. But when the gym is booming and there's a lot of people in the gym, everyone like when you go into a set and you do a set, right? Everyone stands around and everyone's supporting you, everyone's watching. That's so cool. when everyone's doing that, it's even more pressure to perform. And yeah. listen, mm -hmm. any human being, any human being on this earth when you are put under that sort of pressure, it's always gonna bring out that extra 1%. It's like when she deadlifts, she'll deadlift like, she'll do an SLDL, RDL with four plates aside. When she does it, there's always probably 10, 15 people standing around and watching. And when she's got them standing around, she's pulling that way for, for big numbers, always. So mm -hmm. I do think it really does make a big, big difference because you've got these people supporting you and giving you that extra shout, it's, it's gonna make you, really really turn it up and, and reach that next level i got a picture yeah. here from your instagram meg what are we looking at here <laughs> what is this what is this progress we're looking at here so the red bikini was a uh, 2020 okay and the pink bikini was 2022 no kidding. And how much how much uh, weight did you put on, muscle did you put on in that time? Well, I was 49 in Romania and I was 60 at the Arnold. 11 kilos. So that's 11, 11 kilos, but, but I do think that I could have been a little bit tighter at the Arnold's. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so okay. Let's, let's say 10 kilos. So we'll say 10 kilos. Okay. And what, what, wow. are, what are you getting ready for now? Um, so I'm currently in a diet phase just to reset my, my oh. body composition. Yeah, I was a little bit chubby. I decided to take this this year off. Um, we obviously knew how harsh a prep is, especially on a female. Um, 
and I don't want to ruin my femininity completely. Yeah. Um, obviously, we know that there's certain sides that we can't kind of get away from, but I, I wanted to take some time away, um, and I like to do a lot of my off-season quite natural. So it was that, and then we'll go back into an off-season, go into prep in December, well, November, and then compete in April next okay. year. Right on. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with taking off more time to grow and and to take care of your health. I think that's a huge message, especially for the females, you know, and especially for, you know, a lot of times I think people think that you look at a woman who has an incredible amount of muscle. And I've known a lot of girls who are like, oh, well, I have to take all this stuff. And, you know, they they just think that there's no choice. You have to compromise. And uh, I, I think that's a great message to hear that you're keeping health in check as well. Yeah, I wish that other ladies would still do that. But unfortunately, with, with what we do, lots of people compete season to season, but they don't have to put on as much muscle tissue as what I do. <laughs> <laughs> we we'll, we'll, we'll want to come back and compete and be up there competitive-wise. So to do that as a female and male, you, you need the time off. You, you, need, you need to spend a lot of time in a surplus, taking your body weight up and training hard and heavy over a period of time. And I think if you want to make big, significant changes, male or female, you need at least 12 months Hmm. away from competing, away from comp prep. Don't get me wrong, you can't probably stay for 12 months in complete surplus. That would be pretty, pretty silly. Uh, But you need time away to just keep building and, and, you know, and, and go up. And you'd say that for men and women both? Yeah, hundred percent, a hundred percent. Like the biggest gains I've ever seen was when I always take a year off hmm. and, and actually spend time growing, and that—that's exactly what I'm doing alongside of Meg this year. It's like I know I can probably step back on stage 10, 12 pounds heavier and not have to abuse things uh, if I do take the time off, which I am doing. So, so that's that's always the plan. So. I've just done, we've just both actually done 30, how many weeks in a surplus after the show? 32 weeks in a surplus. Yeah. So the way we, the way we structure things, right? From from the show, I'll, I'll take you back, right? Coming away from Arnold's, we've done 32 weeks now in a surplus. We've been in a deficit for five weeks now. We've got another five weeks in a deficit. So that's going to be 10 week diet to, to really get us ready and primed for another push up in body weight. So once we've completed that 10-week diet, I will be pushing back up in a surplus for another 28 weeks or 30 weeks. I think 30 weeks until prep. Okay. So I'll be in a surplus for 30 weeks until prep, until prep, and Meg will be in a surplus for 20 weeks until prep. So when you look at the time frame of the time off, the total of that for Meg is going to be 52 weeks in a surplus and 10 weeks in a deficit. And the total of that for me is going to be 60 weeks in a surplus and 10 weeks in a deficit. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, so it absolutely push does. Up, push up, hold for a little while, come down, push back up, hold, prep. Yeah. Yeah. That yep. makes sense to me. Are you tracking your body count along this in any way? Or just use... Yeah, cal- calipers. I mean, I've got my own sort of take on if you really want to make it work. Like calipers, or are you just looking at your strength level to gauge how much muscle you've gotten to? Or are you shooting for a body weight? Like, are there some goals, benchmarks, landmarks along the route that you're that you've got to sort of guide your way up and down? 
body weight and pictures. So I've managed to hit okay. a pretty okay 280, uh, my last push up. Uh huh. And it, it was decent. It, was, it wasn't too lean, but it wasn't too soft. I've definitely been a lot softer, like 265. So I was a lot softer last prep. And I mean, last year before I started prep, I like 262. Um, and I hit 280 this push up. Uh, then I held for a little while, went into health phase, and then now I'm back into my diet phase. And this morning I was 262. So the plan is to come down to around 245. And I know when I hit 245, I'll be pretty, pretty lean. Um, and then I'll push back up to like probably 285. And I want to make sure that when I come back up to 285, I'm leaner than I was at 280. And I'm a lot leaner than I was at like 260 when I first started prep. Uh, last year, right? So for me, what's your stage weight? Performance, performance, pictures, and body weight. So my goal, goal for the body weight before I actually start prep, I need to be two eighty five, but not sloppy. Hmm. His last stage weight yeah. was two thirty. Two thirty, yeah, two thirty. All right, okay. Yeah, yeah so you might be, nice. be two forty this time. Yeah, I. I, I I definitely think I can I, I can take off 240 and I can be lean at 240 as well. Hmm. So it, I know for a fact, if I can step on stage at 240, um, because I, I don't have the biggest waist, I've got okay structure. I, I know I can do, I can do pretty all right. That'd be some huge progress, especially if you put it in the places you want it to be, you know? Yeah. It's I'll, monstrous I'll, progress. I'll yeah. I'll, yeah. Make happen. I'll make that happen. I'll make that happen 100%. It's, it's not glutes for you. What's the... Back, back, so yeah, weakness, back, what else? Back, back and glutes as well. My glutes need to be bigger okay, as well. Okay, and glutes. Yeah. So yeah. I'll, uh, I will be doing a hip hinge every leg day as well. Okay. But to be honest, it's uh, realistically right. I, I need more of everything, but specifically a little bit more back. But I do think this push-up as well, my back has come up a hell of a lot. So I do think, uh, I do think we're on track. There should be some pictures on my Instagram, Scott, from, from the last push when I finished it up. I'm looking. Okay. How, how far look. down are they? Um, a, lo a little bit. There's, there's quite a lot of reels there, mate. So you'll... Yeah. You're great with the... You're great with the uh, uh, with all the. If you guys aren't following Kuba and Meg, by the way, Kuba, you guys are always posting a bunch of really good stuff, a lot of educational stuff. Where is this one at? This was so. This was a throwback shot. This was November 2022. That's a great shot right there. So I was actually 218 pounds there. Okay. Yeah, I was 218 there. So I was little. That was 2020, 21. Oh, okay. Okay. That was 2021, I think. It says, oh, you know, I'm looking 2022, it says. On the on your Instagram. That's when it was posted, but maybe no, that's from a that's different That's when I posted it, oh, I think oh. that was a callback. 2020 okay gotcha gotcha you look that's deceptive you look a lot bigger than that here you know what i'm saying you look freaking i would have put you way higher than that i got i got i got some funky details somewhere from yeah. the front i do anyway yeah just the oh, like up top too though like the density you have through your shoulders and chest and then like you said man you you the way you worded it was you said your waist is not too wide no you've got a small you know good small waist with wide quads and wide up top it's a that's a really nice shot on you too and just nails too absolute hard it was great you're, i'm gonna scroll down a little bit further away from the 212 aren't you you just have to lose too much to make 212 
or at least then. Yeah. And now yeah. You're way far away. Yeah. Yeah. Let me see here. Yeah, I'm gonna I keep scrolling you know down. At that, at that show, at that show, I could have probably made two twelve in two twenty. Uh-huh. Uh, because yeah. that was like two eighteen, but I'm pretty sure when I stepped on stage in two thousand twenty, I was only like two hundred and fifteen pounds, two hundred and fourteen pounds uh, in yeah. Romania. So right. and then fo- following year I came I came back I was like 200, 221 but a little bit leaner and then two mm-hmm. last year was 230 um so it's good progress year to year but this is where I need to step up again which that's going to need uh, a little bit longer time in an off season All right so this looked like that was yeah. this your top end then here it, it said 278 point something yeah, that was that was top end, but I did I did I did tick off to eighty and I held it for a little while. As yeah, well, yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. So if he can get yeah, two eighty nasal now. strip on. Yeah, <laughs> nasal <laughs> strip. <laughs> Is that when I you train, or you, you wear that when you sleep? Yeah, I do you wear, wear that when you sleep. train. Yeah, yeah. Okay, just when I sleep. Okay. Just when I sleep. Okay. So like no CPAP. So you woke or up like and that. took that shot in the morning. <laughs> 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 okay. Oh, yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. Straight out of bed. Listen, the, the check-in pictures we always take straight out of bed, flat, first thing in the morning. Yeah. yeah. So no CPAP then, I take it. I've, I've never needed it, to be okay. honest. I, I think she needs it probably more than me. But to be oh, honest, no kidding. With, with the CPAP, right, I think if you need a CPAP, unless you're Jordan and your neck is huge, <laughs> and unless you do have, a, a, you know, a predisposition where, you, where your neck is wider naturally, yeah, I think people that need a CPAP mostly are just probably a little bit too out of shape. Yeah, that's just my take. Yeah, I I know that I needed one early early on, and I think for me when I started lifting, I was 115 pounds, like literally wow. 115 pounds as an adult. Like, and it, I mean, I had lifted before that, but I was like, I'm gonna get serious. I'm 115 pounds in like my mid 20s, late 20s. So it's not like I needed to grow still, you know. And by the time that I hit like 220, it was like, Ugh! I just, I had episodes nonstop. Even even in contest shape, I'd get episodes. So, and I still use it today, but I think there's a genetic factor to it because I've talked to other guys who are pros, good pros, who are like, oh, no, I've never had any sleep problems. Ron and Dusty. Ron, you know, look at the size of Dusty. He's never needed a CPAP. His neck is gigantic. Exactly. You know, so I think there is a genetic proclivity to like, there's a health thing to that you know where like my body got to like when i was at like 230 i was like oh man this is this feels like too much to me whereas somebody else is like 230 that's nothing let's keep going another you know 50 pounds i think uh, as long as i stay fit as long as as long as i stay fit and as long as i don't get uh i don't get too chubby i think i think i'm okay but I do actually have a CPAP just in case. So okay, I'm I'm, I'm well prepared. I'm well prepared, especially for this push up. <laughs> if I uh, if I need it, I'll, I'll break it up. There there is a genetic. I looked in this because I, I have a CPAP and my dad had one. And um, the qu- funny quick story: I went and I saw a physician assistant, and I went in and I told him I think I've got sleep apnea. And I'd seen a friend. I have a friend out who lives in California. Went out there to compete one time, and she let me sleep in her in her house. I stayed at her place during this competition and I was in her bedroom, closed door, left hand turn down the hallway. And then she was in a room like three doors down with the door closed. And I get up the next morning and she's like, um, you know, Scott, you got apnea. You, you hold your breath and you sleep. And I'm like, Oh yeah. kind of thought maybe I did. And she, she's like, I'm like, how long do I hold my breath? She's like, Oh, until you just about die. 
Yeah. Like I almost got up like <laughs> 10 times during the night. Yeah. Because I, I would hold my breath for like a minute. Oh, like God. she would hear me snoring. <sighs> and she's like, she just says, I'm just lying there. I'm like, just waiting. Oh, shit, he's gonna <laughs> she had to get up. Like, and then I start breathing again. So I went into my, my PA and um, I told him, I'm like, and I think I was maybe 250, 240 at the time. Maybe I got the worst he got. And I said, my dad's got one. I've got a big neck. You know, I, I have some things. I've been told I hold my breath when I sleep. I think I've got obstructive sleep apnea and he's like he's like come on he's looking at me he's like you don't have because he's used to seeing people who are morbidly obese and then he's like okay like whatever he's just going through the motion like I'll appease this guy so I can get him out of my office yeah and then he looks down into my throat and he's like oh yeah let's get a sleep study because my trachea is about that big it's yeah that's deep. I went to the when yeah. I was at the heart specialist he looked in my throat he's like you got a CPAP and I was like yeah and he's like good because you've got no airway <laughs> yeah, right. right. Yeah. And I know I, I know I have a small lung volume. I've tested that, you oh. know, in, in lab through the years. You can test this. Um, it's done, for instance, when you do underwater weighing, that sort of thing. So I know I have small lung. So I just have a small airway. And so um, that with, you know, having a big neck and being heavier. But when I go down in weight, there was one night after a show. It was the night of the show, right? Yeah. I was totally wiped out. I'll never forget this. It was so, so this happens to everyone, but it just freaked me out. I'll never forget it. And I would always sleep with my CPAP. And I literally got done with the show and I had a nice meal. And I laid down. I think I was trying to watch something on my on my iPad and yeah. I was sleeping. And I fell asleep with the iPad on in the hotel room without putting my CPAP on. Right. Which I would never do. I hadn't done for years. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I'm like, oh, shit. Like, who kidnapped me? Where the hell am I? What's going on? Because I didn't my sleep. It was my CPAP on. It totally freaked me out. I actually slept. But that's because I was still dehydrated, so all the tissues were shrunken up, and I was at my lightest body weight, you know, in at least a year. And so that's only time, really, I can go, get away without the CPAP. Otherwise, you know, I'm relatively light. I still need it just because I've got poor genetics. Do you remember, Scott, airway. when Jordan was yeah. talking about getting a CPAP back in the day on Muscle Minds? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't there – you guys would know. Is there something to do with, like, you can't drive – does this yeah. does this ring a bell in in the UK? If you have a CPAP yeah. through the medical system, so, you're not allowed to have a license or something. So you can only get a license if you've got it super under control. If oh. you have severe sleep apnea, yeah. so if you've got a, a really really severe case of sleep apnea, you can't actually drive. But as long as you get it under control, then they'll let you drive drive again for sure. But it's just more so if if it's super severe, then then there's no go. That's crazy. Um, but I'm pretty sure Jordan's is very, very severe, but he does have it under control yeah. now, thankfully. Yeah. Because um, yeah. yeah, Jordan's just a monster. So he's, he's got a, a triple, <laughs> triple, 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 triple times six XL neck. So his neck's yeah. like... <laughs> yeah. Like yes. His pressures have to be so high, you know, that's the thing. Yeah. He's got it under control, but he requires like monstrous airway pressure to keep his airway open. So okay, yeah, he does. So that's why Corn has to drive everywhere. Yeah, you know, he's like a he's like a rhino. He's like a rhino. That's wild. Uh-huh. So that's a public service message here, people. If you yeah, if you're not recovering and you somehow think your sleep is poor, if you don't have an aura ring or an Apple Watch or whatever, bodybuilders get a CPAP. You can die. You know, you can really have some major issues. Well, just not to mention too the stress on your heart because if you're not pumping oxygen or through breathing, then your heart rate picks up. 
you know if you're sleeping if you're sleeping doing like you know 125 beats a minute 130 beats a minute every night you know that's not going to be good for your heart in the long run right scott yeah scott you ever like i I can do this now i can kind of take a nap but like when my when i've been heavier in the past and i could accidentally be like lying on the couch you know and i start to fall asleep and it's the worst thing i start to fall asleep and then i have a an apneic episode and I would hold my breath and I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy. My heart just racing. It's, oh, it's, that's the worst feeling of anxiety ever, man. It's yeah. terrible. But then you're, you're still sleepy. So you fall back to sleep. So right. I would do that for years. I would did that. I wouldn't like, I'm like, dude, just go to the bedroom, get in your CPAP and take a real nap. I'd stay there for three hours and just like put myself in this, this alternating living hell of snoozing off and waking up in a panic for half the afternoon. Yeah. Well, you know, we didn't mention, we didn't mention Ultraflex, by the way, was the name of the gym. We should put a link to the Instagram Absolutely. Uh, in the show so that people can check that out. And how now you guys are farther north, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Rotherham. Okay. So it's uh, Ultraflex Ultra Rotherham. How far are you from Dave Crossland out of curiosity? Because I have no idea how that works. So Dave actually lives an hour away from us now. Okay. Um, before he moved, before he moved, he was like 35 minutes away. Oh, yeah, no kidding. So you're. The distance is not far. It's just to get there is hard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't seen his new house, but I when I came out, I uh, I stayed with him at the old house. Man, that is such a cool area. And I just love like uh, northern England. It's beautiful up there. So you, so you guys are technically northern England then, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's, it is northern. Yeah, yeah. That's Northeast. cool. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. So. So you'd be closer to like the Manchester side of things, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So we're actually where where we actually live. It's like forty five minute drive to Manchester. Okay. Yeah, and the bodybuilding scene up there. Open? What's that? I was at a similar question. Like, any plans to open more gyms? Are you gonna? You just got the one right now, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely. So we're looking for more premises. We've been looking for Manchester premises for two years now. Okay. And uh, we actually we actually went to see a unit of a day, and if we can land some parking with the unit, that's going to go ahead. But that's if, uh, if not, we're still on the lookout. So if anyone's listening and you know any units to let, um, hit me up in the DM. We'll uh, we'll definitely make it happen. So Manchester's priority, and and hopefully uh, Nottingham and Chesterfield down that way as well. Okay. So a hundred percent, yeah. Now I, I liked Manchester. It reminded me of Detroit. There's kind of like a like a blue collar, hardworking quality, and I see that in at least the bodybuilders that I know that are from the UK. Like you guys, just get down. You work hard. You know for 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 what you uh, for what you have, and that's something I think I've always appreciated. At least I'm sure that's not everybody, but at least the people I know. I think uh, conversation I actually had with Jordan not long ago. It's if we didn't have to, if they, if, it, we, if we didn't have to work as hard as we do for it, I don't think we'd love it as much as we do. <laughs> I think that we can relate to that, Scott. What do you say? Yeah, if it were easy, then I mean, why do it? Yeah, I mean, plenty of things that come easy in life, but they're not rewarding. You know, no. yeah. that it's the thing is that we're we're wired. You know, it's evolution, whatever. They can go down that rabbit hole, but we're we're wired to. To have, we need some sort of strenuous stimulus, I think, and everyone's different in this regard. But we need something to strive for, and I think, I think we degrade as humans when everything is just given to us. And you look, 
I mean, you can actually even see this. I've got a friend who's a therapist, and she says some of the people who who come to who are, are the worst off are people who grew up extraordinarily rich. Hmm. Yeah, and you see that in kind of the tabloids too, like Children of Stars and that sort of thing, where there's there's everything just comes to them. I mean, hell, I, like let's we'll go down the rabbit hole a little bit, like the story of the Buddha, right? He was extraordinarily rich. He had everything. He had no challenges in life. And he said, there's got to be more to this. He, and he was sheltered even from seeing people on the street who, you know, had struggles in life, who, who didn't have anything to eat, didn't have food. Just get, so he went out and explored things. And then, you know, Buddhism evolved from that. That's the original story of, of um, Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha, right? So, yeah, we need to have hard shit. And almost to some degree, the harder it is, the more rewarding it is. So... Even the people who are hardcore who'd like to do the hardcore stuff, we're still seeking out the things that are rewarding to us. Sure. I think they just have a more they have more meaning because they are harder. And it's you know, it's part of it's part of finding a way to be sort of um you know, be the warrior in a modern day when there may not be any wars for us to us to fight per se. We have internal ones that we create for ourselves. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know? Yeah. So uh, we, especially we, if you can have we, a cool we, tribe like an ultraplex. So. Yeah, we're sometimes oh, like to thrive. Uh, we sometimes like to thrive in in very uncomfortable situations. I think it's, uh, this is why yeah. we love to diet. That's why we love to push them. You know, do the push ups. It's uh, it's something that you just cannot buy. I think this is why it's beautiful because you cannot buy hard work. You cannot buy a physique. Yeah, you can't. No matter what, like you, you can buy the drugs, yes, you can buy the supplements, you can buy a gym membership, you can buy, you know, you, you can buy personal trainers, whatever, but you cannot buy the effort that you have to put in to attain a physique, and you cannot buy the discipline that comes along with getting a physique as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that is so true. I think that's a good place to wrap things up. We appreciate you guys coming on to hang out with us. I'm glad we could get both of you. This was fun to, we should have had like a, a bunch of, uh, what was that? Like um, the newlywed game, Scott, where you like, oh, you, you know, you, you like, we ask Meg a question yeah, well, about Cuba and vice versa. And we should have had that what set up. But, yeah. Favorite colors. <laughs> yeah. <right? laughs> Would you rather be on the beach or yeah. be at a top tier hotel on the next time? Street? Next time. We'll have to set that yeah. up. But we, we do. We appreciate you guys coming on, and, and uh, we appreciate what both of you guys are doing. Uh, I love the, the, the like the message that you guys are sharing. And, Meg, thank you, by the way, for uh, for, for mentioning us uh, on your post the other week. I really appreciate that. That was really cool to see. No problem. All my clients loved it as well. Hell, yeah. All right. Well, for another episode of Muscle Minds with uh, Kuba and Meg Challen, as well as, of course, Scott Stevenson. I'm Scott McNally. I didn't mention it at the beginning, but you guys know all of our programming is brought to you by truenutrition.com. Use our code THINK, Strom Sports Nutrition for those of you in the UK, supplementsource.ca for our Canadians, and of course, everybody from Patreon. Thank you guys. You're making this thing happen. For another episode of Muscle Minds, we'll see you soon. Thanks, guys. Peace. I'm just going to hit the button. Things go dark for